Could have been shorter, Harry. Could have been shorter. <laughs> and you may say the same when I'm finished. So, um, the very first verse of Luke chapter 19. It says this interesting little phrase. It says Jesus was just passing through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. He, this was just a journey. And way back when, when I was sitting where you're sitting. Uh, the very first course I took here, I'd come back to seminary after being in pastoral ministry for a while, and I took a course with Dr. Allison Trites on the Gospel of Luke. It was a great uh, introduction to the college and, and a great uh, opportunity to meet, for me to start a friendship with Dr. Trites. But I remember Dr. Trites saying, drawing our attention to Luke 9.51. Have you got that one memorized yet? After the transfiguration... There's this amazing little verse, Luke 9.51, where it says that Jesus, and this is King James, sorry, set his face resolutely, I think is more in the NIV, to go to Jerusalem. And from then on, through the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is on this journey to Jerusalem. He's, he's now set his face to go. He knows exactly why he came and what he's doing. And he's on his way to Jerusalem. He knows that he's going there to die to give his life, to sacrifice himself for the atonement of our sins and for the sins of the world. And so he's on a journey. So from Luke 9.51 on, the Gospel of Luke has Jesus traveling through the countryside from village and town to, to town to village on his way to Jerusalem. He is a man on a mission. And his mission is to die for us. But we know that often what happens is that there are interruptions that come along. And if you go into ministry, you're going to understand that often there will be interruptions in your ministry and in your life. And it's often that in the interruption is the ministry. And if you hear anything I say today, you need to hear that. You will often have opportunities to have ministry in the interruptions that happen in your daily work, in pastoral ministry, or whatever type of ministry you're called to. And so here we have this interruption. Jesus is just passing through. He's on his way to Jerusalem with the, with the weight of the world literally on his shoulders, and he comes to Jericho. Now we know that Jericho was this wealthy uh, border city. We know that there was a customs office there, that if you're going to pass through, you had to go through the customs office and you had to pay your taxes. And we know that there's this man, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was... We don't know much about him, but we learn this from the text. We know that he was a chief tax collector. We know that he was wealthy. We know that he was vertically challenged. <laughs> but more importantly, we know this about him, that he had this deep interest and desire to see Jesus. He wanted to see and hear Jesus. He had a longing inside himself that had not been satisfied, that none of his money, his wealth, his position, his power, all the things that he had experienced in life, he still had this deep inner longing to interact with Jesus of whom he'd heard. Folks, I just want to say to you, as you are in, in this place, people in Canada today are still interested in God. People in Canada today still have a deep, innate spiritual hunger that they can't fully understand or comprehend. They're not particularly interested in the church or an organized religion, but they are interested in God. Uh, Reg Bibby says this, 
Bibby says that at a time when only 26% of Canadians are saying that religion is very important to them, about 90% of Canadians still maintain that God either continues to be important or is becoming more important. So make no mistake about it, God is doing well in the polls in Canada. Not so much the church, but God is doing well in the polls. Zacchaeus had everything he wanted in life, but there was something he wanted more. He had a deep, innate curiosity and interest in Jesus. As Marjorie Thompson said about our current culture, she said, people in our well-fed, secular, affluent world are looking for something more. More than what they're experiencing. Certainly Zacchaeus was. Let me just say uh, about Zacchaeus that here we have this interesting situation where Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, but as I said, he was vertically challenged, he knew it was going to be difficult with the crowds that were around Jesus, and so he finds this tree, and he scampers up in a tree, and if you've ever been to Jericho or to the Middle East, you'll, you'll see these amazing trees that kind of, they're, they're not, you know, it's easy, I could even climb those trees, because they're, they have low-hanging branches, and you can get up in them, and so he got up in the tree, and, and I really think, now this is just my own impression, so please, this is not good biblical exegesis, this is just my imagination working overtime. But in my imagination, I see him up this tree, really wanting to be incognito. He's not there for Jesus to see him. He's there to see Jesus. And so he's kind of hiding in the tree, hoping no one will notice him. Because he's not exactly a popular guy. And he's hoping no one will notice him. But he's up in the tree. And the Bible says that Jesus comes along and walks right over to the tree, looks straight up at him, and outs him. Like, that was the last thing he wanted to happen, folks. He was there hopefully, just to remain incognito, to get his glimpse of Jesus, to see what's happening in the ministry and life of Jesus. And Jesus outs this clandestine follower. And he knew then that he had to be engaging in Jesus in some way. See, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. But I don't think Zacchaeus was prepared for the fact that Jesus wanted to see him. See, Zacchaeus thought that he had the idea first to come see Jesus. But what he didn't realize is, God was at work long before Zacchaeus even had the thought. It's interesting that Jesus says to him in that moment, he says, Zacchaeus, today I must be at your house. Now, if I can fall back on the the work of Dr. Trice, I remember him this little tiny Greek word, day. It's a three-letter word. Hopefully you've got your Greek New Testament, you can check it out. <laughs> and it's the word day. And it, it, I remember Alison Trice, he would just be fairly jumping off the floor saying, this is a pregnant word. This is a word that is pregnant theologically. This is not an accidental happening. This is not some kind of chance encounter. This is a divine must that God decided to engage Zacchaeus long before Zacchaeus had even been interested in in engaging God. It was a kairos moment. Jesus planned all along to visit Zacchaeus and his journey up to Jerusalem. The interruption was the ministry. Before we start seeking God, he's already seeking us. What did Jesus say? No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him or her. 
He claimed, Jesus claimed that his mission on earth was to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus, but long before that, Jesus was looking for Zacchaeus. Now please note the crowd just for a minute. They were excited, weren't they? Weren't they excited that Jesus wanted to go home and go to dinner with Zacchaeus? Uh-uh. They got upset. They were mad. At, they were just angry. I love how Eugene Peterson uh, says this. He says that, uh, you know, I've lost my place now, but he says something like this. They grumped. He said they, they were not happy. They just grumped. What is he doing having to do with this sinner, this tax collector, this evil man? Why would Jesus go to his house? Well, Jesus went to his house because Zacchaeus needed this salvation. So I must stay at your house today. Peterson says, everyone who saw the incident was indignant and grumped. What business does he have getting cozy with this crook? Luke 7, we read Jesus' own description of how the religious people in Palestine viewed his life and ministry. He said, For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you said he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. To befriend a notorious and hated person was unthinkable for the average religious person in Jesus' day. These people were angry with Jesus. They couldn't believe that he'd waste his time on Zacchaeus. See, one of the problems with the religious folks in Jesus' day, and I think it's there today too, is that there was this us and them mentality in the church. It had crept into the religious organization. Insiders didn't associate with outsiders. The people in the flock had become comfortable relating to the people who were like themselves, and they didn't associate with the uninitiated riffraff. I'm afraid that many people who attend Baptist churches, now you're not all Baptists, so I won't pick on any other denomination, but I'll pick on the Baptists here today. Many people in our Baptist churches today spend most of their time relating with people just like us. People who go to church, who understand the church culture, but we've largely abandoned the world and the secular culture around us. Reggie McNeil said the church has largely forsaken its missional covenant with God to be a part of kingdom expansion. It has instead submitted to its own charter of church as a clubhouse where religious people hang out with other people who think, dress, behave, vote like them and believe like them. It's been my experience that the longer we're in church, the fewer friends we have outside of church. It's also been my experience that often pastors and church leaders keep people so busy being involved with church activities, they don't have time left over to build relationships with people outside church. Now, I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. You still have to have church. But we need to be able to focus outwardly. I'd like to suggest we ought to become guilty of being like Jesus. How do we become like Jesus? I think we become like Jesus by intentionally becoming friends with people who don't think, dress, behave, vote, and believe like us. Back to the story of Zacchaeus just for a moment. It's amazing to see that Jesus went to his home and ate his home, and that says so much theologically, I don't have time to talk about it. 
He went into his home. He crossed the threshold. He ate at his table. Only friends eat at table together in that culture. And Zacchaeus had an amazing conversion experience. And it was so powerful it affected his pocketbook. You know that's conversion, folks. <laughs> right? That's conversion. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. For the Son, is, Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He welcomed Jesus gladly. He entered into this new relationship with Christ. He had a change of heart. He literally, his heart was changed and transformed. God has called us to have this same kind of ministry, to reach out to strangers, to welcome those who don't normally feel welcome in our churches. Zacchaeus was a person who had a deep spiritual hunger, but he didn't feel comfortable being around religious people, especially in a public setting. I've had people say to me, I'm terrified to walk through the doors of your church. I don't know what to expect. I don't know what those people will think. Will they judge me? I don't know what to do even when I do come into church. Jesus pursued a friendship with Zacchaeus, and he accepted him as a person with dignity and worth. And it led to this man coming to faith in Christ. Let me just tell you one brief story now I'll close. I hope it will be brief. A number of years ago, I was doing a, a wedding vow renewal for a couple. They were been married 32 years. They wanted to renew their vows. They wanted to do it at their home outside. It was a beautiful, sunny June, hot afternoon. Hallelujah. May the snow go. <laughs> Sorry. It was a beautiful day, and they invited 75 people, and there was lawn chairs everywhere, and they had a band. I mean, it was my kind of gig. They had a band that played oldies, like we're talking Beatles, CCR, Gordon Lightfoot. I decided I had gone to heaven. And, uh, and so we stood on the deck, and I had my big chili hat because I had problems with skin cancer, so I had to have, you know, the face all covered up. But... We did the vow renewal. It was very beautiful. They'd written new vows, and it was all wonderful. And the friends were there, and the neighbors were there, and all of their in-laws were there, and their outlaws were there, and everybody was there. And I remember when it was over, I finally went down, and I saw an empty seat beside this guy. And I sat down beside him, and I knew when I sat beside him, I was in a bit of trouble, because I could tell that he had been drinking. And he was, well, he was three seats to the wind. Anyway, so he's, we're sitting there. And uh, first thing I discovered was he did not like preachers. And he liked, and he liked Baptist preachers even less. And so I sat down beside him, and the first thing he said, so you're a preacher. I don't know, this is going to go well. <laughs> so I don't like preachers. So the first thing he said to me, I learned later, this dear man had been a, a steward in the Anglican church, and... His wife ran off with the pastor. No wonder he didn't like pastors. But at that time, I didn't know him. I didn't know who he was. So I'm sitting there. We get talking. I thought, oh, this is not going to go well. And he's really being rude, and he's trying to offend me as much as he possibly could. I'm trying to be kind and nice. And then somehow, out of the blue, he said, Reed, 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 Reed. You, you in relation to Gordy Reed? I said, yes, Gordy's my uncle. Huh. Oh, Gordy Reed's your uncle. Gordy Reed's your uncle. He said, you can't be that bad. can't be half bad. Gordy Reed's your uncle. <laughs> and somehow we, somehow we turned the corner, but kind of broke the ice. They still didn't like that I was a preacher. 
And uh, then there was some dancing. He got up to dance. He danced with my wife, whom he called Monica. <laughs> some of you know my wife's name, Lottie. And, uh, and he's calling her Monica. Hi, Monica. Hi, how are you doing? And, uh, okay, don't tell any Baptists outside of this room we were dancing. And uh, anyway, that started a friendship. And somehow out of that, I don't know why, they invited us into their home. He was uh, living with this, his, his girlfriend, and they invited us into their home. We went and had a meal with them, and invited them back to our house later on, had a meal with us. And we've just become dear, dear friends. Um, and we love them. They've not come to faith yet. We talk about God sometimes. Not all the time. Sometimes we talk about God, or, and I think that summer they were reading Dan Brown's books, and that was an interesting conversation. <laughs> and, uh, and, and sometimes we talk about God, and sometimes we can't, and sometimes the anger comes out, and sometimes it doesn't. And that's years ago, and the, the friendship has just continued to develop. I call them Fred and Wilma, because I don't want to give you their real names. I remember I, I told this story in PEI at First Baptist Charlton, I said, Fred and Wilma, I'll just pull two names out of the hat. And I go to the door after church, and this couple, I kid you not, this couple comes to me, he goes, Hi, I'm Fred and Mrs. Wilma. <laughs> I cannot believe it. Uh, of course, I didn't think about the Flintstones either. But, uh, but they're not Fred and Wilma. But, you know, one of the things they said, they, the only time they ever came to church was uh, one, one occasion they came to church, it was kind of my farewell, and, Somehow we got them in church, and, and God was just, oh, it was amazing to see how God was dealing with them in church. And poor old Fred, the tears were streaming down his face, and, and uh, he looks over at my wife, and he knew she saw, she spotted, and he goes, he goes, allergies, allergies. <laughs> and uh, you know what they said to us? They said, you know, do you know why? Do you know why we love you guys so much? Because you accepted us unconditionally into your lives. And we were on their case for so many years. Finally, about three years ago, got to go to Pier 21 and perform their wedding. It was just one of the most beautiful weddings I've ever been part of. And we st when I'm speaking in Halifax, we look for an excuse to call them up and say, can we stay over at your house tonight and, and hang out? And, and I don't know just where they're at yet with faith, but... But it's about building those kingdom relationships with people. And, and all through our years, it's kind of about the only, it's probably about the only strategy we knew how to do was just to build relationships with people. See, Jesus engaged Zacchaeus as a real human being. And God did an amazing thing. Folks, we need to be challenged with this kingdom mandate. My prayer is that here in Atlantic Canada, as the Church of Jesus Christ, that we'll become friends with spiritually hungry people. People who don't feel comfortable coming to our churches and entering our doors, but that we'll engage them in relationship, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether it's at the corner grocery store, wherever it is. And accept this kingdom. Mandate. God bless you. I better stop.